Hey everybody, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. I'm here today doing a show about compression. This is a much requested topic, and uh, I'm really glad to be doing this show. It's something that I've been um, wanting to do for a while, and uh, it, it's a difficult thing to do because compression is something that you really need to just do for yourself to, like many things in audio, to really understand it. But what I'm going to do is uh, I decided that the best way to really do this show is to kind of just show you... Um, different examples of things that I'm compressing and how the controls interact with those things. Um, and again, I'm going to be listening to some sounds in solo and some things in context, and it's really important to, um, to compress things in context to see what is happening with the mix, because similar to EQ, um, you know, it really only matters how something sounds in context. And some of your decisions about why to compress are probably and should probably be based on how something is sitting with the mix. You shouldn't just compress something just because, just because, I mean, there's, there, you, you need a good reason, don't you? I mean, I think you must, uh, you, you kind of have to, because otherwise, um, you're just kind of doing it just to make something sound better. And it's not necessarily about sounding better, it's about sounding right for the context of whatever it is you're doing. Um, and to me, compression is is about groove and feel and, and how something appears to me, how it feels in terms of its apparentness or its upfront sound or whatever. Compression can be used for a variety of different things. It can be used to just simply level out something or smooth out some transients or accentuate some transients. It can be used for lots of different things. Um, I tend to categorize these things into four main categories, but uh, in truth, there are lots of ways that we can use compressors. Um, you know, compression was used early on to level out the, you know, radio broadcasts, the level of songs, uh, you know, between song A and song B. Um, and they would use compressors that uh, were set to essentially level out the difference between song levels and whatnot and speaking and all that thing so that it had a more consistent sound, consistent volume. Um, and so there's a million ways we can set compressors. And uh, I'm going to go over some of them today and show you some of the primary ways that we use compressors and some of the things that go through my head while compressing. Um, and I just feel like, you know, this sort of like over my shoulder approach um, to compression might be the best way to demonstrate how it's really working. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the compressor controls and kind of what they do just as a refresher. If you already know, um, if you don't know, then, you know, it might be some good information for you because some of the controls um, are often confused, and I want to clear up any confusion about that. So, without further ado, here we go, Compression 101. Now, the first thing I'd like to talk about is that it doesn't really matter what compressor you use to, um, to learn about compression or to do compression for any of these techniques. Um, that's one of the easiest myths that people have is, you know, I once saw a forum post that said something like, can you break down when to use an LA-2 or an LA-3 or an 1176. And it kind of made me angry because I see a lot of people just, they ignore 
the actual technique and they try to look for a preset essentially and that is just it's no way to to do this effectively whether it's a hobby whether it's a job especially if it's a job but if you really want to get better i mean if you have no desire to get better go ahead use the presets but if you want to <laughs> uh if you really want to improve and get better mixes i mean you you got to learn this stuff you got to learn how to work the tools how a compressor works i mean just as a guitar player like if you want to get better you gotta play with a metronome and you gotta learn your scales and you gotta learn arpeggios and you gotta learn chords and you have to learn keys and you know uh, what chords go in what keys you, you kind of have there's certain things you gotta learn and you know how to use a microphone or how to use an EQ or how to use a compressor is just all part of it and so the first thing I will say is whatever compressor you have now I will say some of the compressors that are modeled after vintage compressors such as 1176 um, you know, don't necessarily have enough versatility uh, for this type of thing um, for really learning about compression and trying to get a lot of sounds out of a compressor. A lot of these vintage compressors have an incredible sound, but they are one-trick ponies. 1176, for example, it has four ratios, well, kind of five, but really four ratios that people, you know, use most often. You have the all buttons in thing, but the slowest attack time on an 1176 is 800 microseconds, or 0.8 milliseconds. Now, again, that's what's published, um, and I'm sure every unit was slightly different. Uh, but but that compressor is not going to allow you to really have much of a slow attack. Like, if it's modeled properly after the 1176, it should be very fast uh, in general. So that's great if you're doing something that needs a fast attack, uh, but if you're trying to do something with a slower attack, that's not going to work as well. Another example is the DBX-160, which has a fixed attack and release. Uh, well, it's apparently program-dependent, but you can't adjust them. Um, but you can adjust the threshold and the ratio. But again, it's a one-trick pony. It has its sound, and it's a cool sound, but if you don't know what you need, if you don't know what those things do... You know, you're just going to essentially be trying it and, like, putting it on. Does that work? Yes or no? Okay, no, I'll try something else. Um, so it's in your best interest, at least when you're trying to learn more about compression or get better at compression, to try to use a compressor that has variable attack, variable release, variable ratio, variable threshold, you know, all the standard controls, ideally something with a parallel mix knob, um, there's a lot of them out there. I'll talk about some of them later, but, uh, and it honestly doesn't matter. I mean, initially it can be the stock plugin that comes with your DAW. It really doesn't matter. Um, the goal is to try to learn how these units operate, how they work and, uh, and, and what they are. So now that that rant is over, let's continue on. We're going to talk about compression on a couple different things. Now, I must admit, I'm a little spoiled here because uh, this was all played by good session players. So um, what that means is, in terms of evenness, um, th there things are already pretty even. Uh, if you could see the session, you would realize that the kick hits and the snare hits are all the same volume. And the bass uh, is all the same volume mostly throughout. Uh, and a lot of this stuff has also been compressed on the way in. But no matter, uh, there are still tracks that we can hear, and 
learn about compression through them. Um, so, and I talk about this in my book a little bit, but compression really has four main goals. Those goals are to, number one, add more attack to something, add more punch, add more, you know, smack, add more whatever. Uh, number two would be to reduce the amount of attack, to control the attacks. Um, number three would be to create more of an even sort of glued feel to something, um, something to sound larger or more glued or more cohesive. And number four would be to create color or uh, tonal differences or distortion or harmonic exciting, harmonically exciting things. Uh, so those are our four main goals with compression if I had to con condense them down to four, and that's listed in my book also. Um, and so we're going to talk about achieving each of these and sort of uh, what they might do. And so, but let's first talk about compressors. Now, I do recommend uh, getting a solid compressor plug-in. Of, it doesn't really matter, but something that sounds good that you can feel comfortable working with um, that has some of the basic controls, attack, release, threshold, ratio, things like that. You know, these uh, one-knob sort of do-it-all plugins, they don't actually help you get better at compression. Um, they really don't. So first things first, we're going to listen to a mono overhead mic, and we're going to discuss the compression parameters. Um, so first, let's uh, I'll pull open a compressor. Again, it doesn't really matter what type of compressor it is. Uh, whatever's in your budget, whatever makes sense to you, there are lots of good ones out there. Um, but let's first talk about the controls. So here I'm looking at a compressor that has attack, release, ratio. Uh, it's got a knee control. It's got a dry-wet mix knob, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And it's got your threshold and your makeup gain. Um, so let's talk about attack first. Now attack time, contrary to public opinion, or at least the opinion of many, is not the amount of time it takes for the compression to start happening. Um, that is a very poor description. Or the common phrase, and I don't know where this came from, uh, but is the amount of time it takes for the compressor, quote, to kick in. I don't know where that phrase came from, uh, but it's very misleading. It's very wrong. Uh, the attack time on a compressor is essentially how much time it takes to reach the gain reduction based upon the figures that you have, based upon the other parameters that you've set. So the entire, you know, stroke, if you will, of the compressor is the attack time. It's not, it doesn't do anything. Like if you have attack to, an attack time of 10 milliseconds, it's not that it does nothing for 10 milliseconds and then compresses. It's how long it takes to compress, as in how long it takes to do the full compression action. So if you compress something by 10 dB with a 100 millisecond attack, it will take 100 milliseconds to get down to negative 10 dB reduction. Doesn't that make more sense? Well, it should, because that's what it is. Um, now again, based on the threshold and the, and the actual sound, it might not actually reach you know, 10 dB every time, of course, because sounds have different levels, and so you can't necessarily, it's, it's a little harder to understand, but that, in theory, is what the attack time does. So it's how long, essentially, it takes to create that downward curve. Now, remember that a compressor is really just a automated volume controller. Uh, it sees an input that goes over the threshold, 
and based on the parameters, um, the threshold says, you know, here is my limit. Um, what, you know, if something passes above the threshold, then it will be compressed. If something is not above the threshold, it will not be compressed, um, or it will begin to release. So let's talk about how these all play together. So let's start with threshold. Threshold is your boundary, okay? So remember your boundary. Let's say it's negative 10 dB, all right? Um, signals that cross over that will then be compressed. They will be compressed. It will take the compressor X amount of milliseconds based on your attack time to compress that sound. Uh, let's say it's a single snare hit, okay? Single snare hit goes over the threshold. Uh, you have your attack time set to 10 milliseconds. It will take 10 milliseconds to compress that down to whatever, you know, the parameters will do based on your ratio and your threshold. And then once the signal drops below the threshold, it will begin to release. And your release time is how much time it takes to return to no gain reduction. So if you compress that snare with a 5-second release time, it will take five seconds once that snare has gone under the threshold to go back to no compression. Um, now, I'm sure you've heard these before, but I'm trying to rephrase them in maybe a way that you might not have heard before. Um, let's move on to ratio. Okay, so ratio is something that, comp that tends to get complicated in people's minds because they just think, you know, low ratios are mellow and higher ratios are not as mellow. And while that is a good general description of their sound, it doesn't necessarily tell people what they do. So essentially, um, if something goes over the threshold by, you know, a certain amount of decibels, we have to tell the compressor, well, how much should it compress? And that's what the ratio, the ratio and the threshold work together, okay? So uh, a ratio of 2 to 1 means for every 2 decibels that go over the threshold, 1 decibel will be sent to the output. So essentially you're dividing the signal in half, in theory. Now again, based on your threshold, um, you know, then you might not be compressing by x dB. So to our ear it might not sound like half, but I won't get into that. So... A ratio of 4 to 1, similarly, um, if something goes over the threshold 4 dB, it will render 1, to the, 1 decibel to the output. Now, these work together, okay, because your threshold um, is essentially asking how much, you know, of the signal am I dipping into here? So imagine, if you will, a, you know, a room mic channel. I'm looking at one now. If you have one, it'd be helpful to look at it. Um, it has some peaks that pop out, but it also has some more sustained information, say symbols or something like that. Uh, let's take a listen to this. So this is a mono overhead. You can hear there's some sustained information, that symbol, uh, and then there's the kick and snare hits that are popping through. Turn this up a little bit. So if you have a high threshold, 
it will only be affecting those peaks that pop out. Okay, so a high threshold means that those peaks will barely be crossing, crossing the threshold. A low threshold means you're going to be affecting more of the signal. You're going to be com- affecting, starting to affect the symbols that are in there that are lower in the signal. You can almost think of it as a bracket around your waveform, okay, from, that comes from the bottom and the top that sort of squeezes in, uh, you know, almost like in a movie where the, you know, the widescreen will narrow in and go to the center, something closing like a, a shutter on a camera. Um, it comes from both ends, right? And as the threshold lowers, it comes from both ends, from the top and the bottom, and starts zeroing in, getting closer and closer to the middle. And it's the threshold is saying, what part of this sound am I affecting? Now, as you can imagine, if we compress this with a very low threshold at a normal ratio, as we would say, say, 4 to 1, or an average ratio, with a very low threshold, we might get something like this. Pretty heavy compression. That's very heavy compression. Um, that's a 4 to 1 ratio with the threshold down at negative 54. So very, very low in excess of 20 dB of compression. But if we then back down our ratio, this is a very, very low threshold, negative 54, and our ratio is 1.2 to 1. Doesn't sound that intense, right? This is bypassed. And again with it on. It's pretty mellow compression, really. So these things work in tandem. Um, And a lot of people don't look at the ratio and threshold that way, but they do. So typically, if we are wanting to peak limit something, you first ask, okay, what part of the sound am I trying to control? That will affect your threshold. So that would be higher threshold because it's just the peaks that are popping out of the sound. It's not the meat of the sound, if you will. It's not, you know, in the case of this mono overhead, it's not all the cymbals and all the, you know, the quieter hits and things. It's just the peaks, just the things popping out. So you would set a higher threshold. Let's try that. But now that we've set this higher threshold, Um, our ratio is still down at 1.2 to 1. So that's not really controlling. I mean, we're getting point, not even even really a decibel of gain reduction. So if we then raise our ratio, notice we're getting more compression this way. Um, So they work in tandem. Typically speaking, when we use higher thresholds, we also use higher ratios. Now, again, I'm not going to really say what high is because there's no rule. You know, is it 4 to 1? Is it 10 to 1? 30 to 1? A million to 1? I mean, there's not a rule, okay? It's just, generally speaking, if we use high thresholds, we use more, you know, medium or higher ratios. If we use lower thresholds, we tend to use lower ratios. And that's because we need to offset You know, if you just crank down the threshold, you're going to be affecting a lot of the signal. The compressor's seeing a lot of signal. And so 
uh, we have to offset that by using the ratio. You could essentially view them as sort of proportional, low threshold, low ratio, high threshold, high ratio. Um, you know, and of course, you can always break the rules. You can always do them either way. You can do high high threshold, low ratio. I mean, whatever sounds best. But uh, that was just an example to show you um, that the threshold is, you know, your bracket that defines what part of the signal I'm really affecting. Okay. Um, is it just the peaks that are popping out or is it all the lower information? Here's another section of the song to demonstrate that. So here we've got our, um, I'm going to turn this up. Let's see here. Where are you? There you are. So if we wanted to even out these peaks a little bit, we would probably, again, you're only wanting to touch, to tap the top of those peaks. So we would set a higher threshold and perhaps a higher ratio and a decently fast attack because we're working with a snare and uh, we want something that will really grab. So let's add this compressor. So this is without it. And with it. Notice, okay, so now that we're touching the peaks, just 3 dB of reduction with a fast attack and a medium release 8 to 1 ratio, okay? We're touching the peaks. Notice how when the compressor is flipped on and off, the hi-hat and the quieter level things don't really change a whole lot. They get a little bit louder, but that's just the nature of the compressor. Um, we're affecting those snare peaks and those kick peaks that pop out more than we are the hi-hat or the kick peaks. Uh, well, really, the, the lower kick peak, you know, the, the double hits, the bump up. But the, mainly what we're affecting is that snare. It's the loudest part of the signal there. Okay. So the threshold and the ratio work in tandem. Um, now let's talk about attack and release. So attack is attack and release are confusing because they essentially kind of work opposite to what they're actually controlling. Um, so typically when we think uh, you know we want more attack, you know, uh, it, it's a little bit confusing to us about what it's doing. So essentially, you should look at the attack of a compressor as the shape, okay, of a slope. So imagine a ski slope, right, going down. A, a fast attack would be like a very steep vertical drop, you know, on a ski slope. Whereas a slow attack would be like a mild, mellow hill, okay, sliding down. So essentially, that's the shape that you're creating for your... Um, transient hit that goes through. It will di dip down the volume very quickly with a fast attack, and then the release is essentially, you know, you're essentially creating this 
U-shape if you had a fast release, okay? You're having like almost like a half-pipe uh, thing going on um, where you've got uh, a quick attack and a quick release that then goes back up, okay, a U-shape. Um, and then, for example, a slower release would be more like, you know, if you had a fast attack, it would be like the steep hill again, and a slower release would be like a mellow hill upward, okay? Now, again, these are all just images in your head, but let's hear how it sounds, okay? So let's, uh, let's first try fast attack, fast release. And I'm going to compress fairly heavily so that you can hear, exaggerate, I can exaggerate the sound of, uh, of each of these. Again, this is dry. And on. So notice that having a fast attack chops that punch of the snare. This is dry. And with. It makes it crunchy. It chops off that uh, transient because it's our steep hill again, remember. So it's, it's quickly chopping off that transient hit. But if we slow down the attack, I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to play the same section and gradually slow down the attack and you'll hear what happens. Notice how punchy that is now. So a slow attack creates a slower slope, which then allows that transient hit to be shaped more widely. Um, so it's still being shaped. You know, again, I don't want people to think that an attack waits or that it uh, doesn't compress uh, and then, like, it waits 100 milliseconds and then starts compressing. That's not what happens. It's a slower attack slope okay um, so again it's just the shape so if you want a wider fatter transient you would use a slower attack if you want a sharper quicker transient you would use a quicker uh, attack now once you get very quick you know a millisecond and below it's actually starting to chop off that you know essentially chop off your starting block at the top of the hill it's actually chopping off that initial uh, bit. So again, here's fast attack, 0.5 milliseconds. Really chopping off that transient. Slowing it down. 10 milliseconds. Notice how that adds some more punch back. That's 60 milliseconds. Much more punchy. This is very slow. This is a 200 milliseconds. And off. On. That's nice and punchy, right? Now, here's the issue. We're getting some distortion, and that 
is good and bad. Sometimes we like that. Sometimes we don't. Um, the release control uh, will help us define the groove of the compressor. Okay, because it says when I essentially, when the sound goes below the threshold again, how long does it take me to get back to no gain reduction? Because again, let's say you hit, you have that single snare hit, it pops down to minus 6 dB. What then? Does it just stay there? Well, no. Our release tells us, okay, how fast do I return to not compressing? Um, so right there in all these examples, I had a very fast release. I don't know exactly what it was. I already changed it, but very fast. The fastest this compressor could do. So it's going to start to add, it's quickly going back to zero, which is adding a distorting element to the, to the sound, uh, similar to the way that a very fast attack will distort the initial transient. Uh, a very fast release will tend to distort the sustain of the instrument or the body of the instrument. Uh, again, tend to. Um, it all depends on the source and the compressor. So let me start slowing down the release. Uh, an easy way for you to hear the release is to compress a lot and hear how something is pumping. Okay, So I'm going to pull down the threshold. I increase the ratio just a hair. I'll go back to 8 to 1. And I will do a medium attack. So this is like medium slow or what? It's 10 milliseconds, so not super fast, not super slow. And I'm going to start with a very fast release, and I'm going to slow down the release gradually. Alright, here we go. Alright, what happened here? I am at 5 second release time. It just now stopped releasing and I'm back to zero. So, essentially, controls the release of that little needle or that little meter that you're seeing. So if something has a five second release time, it'll try to release in five seconds. Um, but if these snare hits are happening every, you know, half second, it's going to compress again and then compress again and compress again. It won't ever be able to get back to zero. So essentially you're just control, you're just turning it down. I mean, when I'm compressing this way, the, the needle's pretty much just staying down there. Notice it doesn't really sound that compressed. This is without it on. And when I turn it on, according to the compressor, I am compressing 10 dB right now. But because my release is so slow, it's not allowing it to return back to zero, which is what gives us that pumping action. It Something turns down and it turns back up. It pumps, right? So let's set this to a more normal time, release time, which is somewhere between two and, you know, 100 and 500 seconds is a fairly normal release time. We can go faster and we can go slower. We often do. But these are more like groove times. So I am sitting about a hundred milliseconds right now. What I want you to focus on here is the groove of the song. So I'm going to compare this to um, the fastest, fastest release possible. 
Notice how when you feel the groove of this drum part, it just feels like crunch, 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 right? Just kind of like the transients are crunchy. That's because it's releasing so fast, it's not really allowing the entire unit to compress and pump. But if we set this to 100 milliseconds, notice you will hear that the hi-hat now is louder than before because it's compressing that kick and snare hit and then it's releasing in time for that hi-hat to come through. So you'll hear, instead of just crunchy peaks, you'll now hear kick, hat, snare, hat. So just listen to it. This is with no compression. Notice how the hat is kind of just in there. But compressing with a essentially a 16th note timed release sounds like this. With that little hi-hat poking through. So when I'm watching the meters here, those kick and snare hits are compressing pretty heavily, 7 to 10 dB. But the compressor is releasing in time, I'm going to speed it up just a hair, to let that hi-hat, so the needle goes back to zero, and that's when the hi-hat hits. So think about it. If we're compressing that snare hit by 7 dB, we're effectively making the hi-hat 7 dB louder than that snare, or than it was before, at least. The, the snare 7 dB quieter and the hi-hat 7 dB louder. We are compressing it, right? Bringing down the loud stuff and bringing up the quiet stuff. Now, see what happens when I slow this down to 200 millisecond release. We're now going to be compressing a little bit slower, or releasing slower, and so we're going to be feeling a different groove. It feels like it's being pushed more farther away from us. Um, the groove is not as apparent, the, you know, the that whole thing is not as, as apparent as it was before with the 100 millisecond release, because essentially now we're compressing in eighth notes, which again, I don't sit here and time out, oh, it's 126 BPM, so, you know, that means that our quarter note is 476 uh, milliseconds, and our 16th note is 119 milliseconds. I don't do that and then set my compressor to that. I don't. I mean, I can figure that out, but I do it by ear, always. Always, always, always. Okay, that was just to prove a point, that uh, it makes sense why 100 milliseconds accentuated that groove. Uh, 200 milliseconds... Notice how much louder our hi-hat seems here. As opposed to this. This is off. 
And as we speed our release up, Notice how the sound changed there. So let's move on to a different sound. So let's demonstrate some more of these issues here. Let's look at a snare. Take some of EQ. So if we hear this snare, again, this should all be done in context, but if we wanted this snare to have less of a bite to it, we could put on a compressor with a fast attack to mellow out that attack. Notice, I can completely obliterate that attack. With the compressor off, and on. See how it's shaving that attack off, off. On. But if I wanted to add more snap, I could slow the attack down. There's compressor off. And on. Because I'm allowing that transient slope to be wider, essentially. Um, now again, let's talk about release here, okay? So let's pull back our attack time to a more reasonable time. And again, in, in a lot of these examples, I'm compressing things very heavily so you can hear the effect of it. And if it helps you to do that, just compress something a little more heavily than you might, and then back it down, or use parallel compression to sort of calm it, calm it down if you're having trouble hearing it, okay? A lot of guys tend to do that. I mean, I do that a lot on certain sources on drum bus, for example. I love to over-compress the drums to really hear the, the groove and the timing of the compression and how it's affecting the transient hits and the pump of the groove and then back it down from there with either parallel or just back, you know, pull up the threshold. Uh, let's look at the release. I'm at a very fast release now. Notice how it seems a little bit distorted. As I slow it down, notice what happens. That's interesting. So notice that kick bleed. Um, my release is now set to 608 milliseconds, uh, so quite long for a snare drum release. And what's interesting about that is that it is keeping this snare drum compressed until right before the kick hit. It's because I'm compressing the snare 8 or 10 dB, and then by the time it releases, that kick hit comes into play. This is interesting because it it goes boom, ga, ga, ga. So it's pushing that snare in a rhythm that feels like that. Boom, ga, ga, ga. So it's kind of on this half note thing. And then when the snare hits it again, it compresses that. Because in reality, the snare is much louder. Well, what we're feeding the compressor is much louder than what we're hearing. 
And so it's really interesting how compressors work. And again, they're all slightly differently. They're, they're, they're designed and, and they're all slightly different. They're going to sound slightly different. Um, there are some compressors that are designed to sound super clean. Others that are designed to sound super dirty. Uh, this one that I'm using now is kind of in between. Let me find the right point for the release. What I am looking for is to go back to that groove where it feels like it's jumping, you know, pop, popping in time. You know, guts, 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 where it's kind of like, uh, you know, so I want my release to be in time with the song. Okay, so this is half that time. This is 260 milliseconds. And that seems to provide a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, a little bit more of a consistent groove. And it brings out more of the hi-hat rather than the kick, if that, if that makes sense. But uh, if I speed it up even more, say 100 milliseconds... The tone of the drum changes a little bit. It does get a little bit more distortion, and it doesn't have as much of a pump, but it still sounds cool, so you could kind of choose. One of them is going to feel better in context, and so again, you would want to listen in context to see which one feels the best and which one sounds the best to your ear. Uh, I actually kind of like that 260, uh, or wherever it was. because it kind of adds a nice backbeat to that snare. I'm going to pull my threshold back a little bit. This is dry. Feels kind of lifeless now, right? So right now we ended up with uh, 20 millisecond attack time and 200 and, no, 300 millisecond release. I just move the knobs. I'm not looking at the numbers. I just move them until they sound good, okay? They're not exactly where I ended up before, okay? So this is without, with, Now, let's talk about makeup gain real quick. I'm not really working the makeup gain as well as I should be, but makeup gain essentially says however much uh, you're compressing on average, so if you're compressing 4 to four to 5 dB on average, you should turn up your makeup gain by that same amount. Uh, so if you were compressing 4 to 5 dB, you would, you would turn up your makeup gain plus 4 or 5 dB. You could call it 4.5. And that will give you sort of a rough approximation of the equal volume of before and after. Um, and so I'm not really doing it here just because I'm trying to just explain and it's just a pain to keep readjusting. But um, that just makes for good gain staging and better comparison of wet to dry.
Compressing this way also tends to add a little bit more brightness to the sound because you're adding more attack, and that pokes out to our ear a little bit more. Whereas if you compress the transient more and you have a faster attack on the compressor, then you will tend to make something sound a little bit darker or perhaps a little bit more pushed back in the mix. Um, adding attack will sometimes bring something forward to your attention and poke out at you. Um, and it again, it, it's all subjective depending on the situation. Um, it, how you compress something will affect you know, how it's heard. And if this all sounds too strong still, if I wanted to make this less intense, I have really three or four options. I could uh, pull back the amount on the uh, threshold. So I'm just affecting less of the sound. I could also keep the threshold where it was and change the ratio. I could lower the ratio. That sounds nice. That's at a 2 to 1 ratio. Or I could compress, I could leave it where it was. And I could back down my parallel compression, blending in some of the dry signal. This is totally dry, and I'm going to slowly blend in the compression. That's 70%. 70% uh, compression and 30% dry. Sounds pretty good. Again, this is all about context, and we're not really uh, hearing that right now, but I want you to just understand how these things work, how these controls work. Now, let's look at something a little bit more difficult to hear. Okay, so those are pretty obvious because we're dealing with transient hits, you know, kicks, snares, things that pop out at you, and you can clearly hear how the compression is affecting them. But let's listen to something like acoustic guitar, okay? This one's hard because we've got uh, these palm mutes here, but then later on we have this. We talked about essentially the uh, the first two situations already. Uh, the snare we added more attack to, and we also crushed the attack. Those are our first two goals with compression: uh, to add more punch or to even out something, to make it a little more even. Okay, and essentially to even out something, we would want to, uh, in terms of evening out a peak performance, you know, of the snare hits or something like that. Let's say you wanted just something to sound more glued. This is our third situation, where you want something to sound a little bit more glued overall, but not necessarily even out pick attacks, or even out this, even out that, or give something more punch or less punch, but just make it sound more glued and cohesive. And that's what we're doing here. Uh, you want this section 
to be the same volume, if you know, roughly as this section. And you want them to feel like they have equal power. Uh, and you don't want uh, things to get out of control. This section, for example, gets much louder. Again, a poor edit. I just rendered these very quickly. Um, so let's add a compressor and see what we can do about this. So again, if you're wanting to affect more of the meat of the signal, not just the peaks, but the meat of the signal, I recommend trying to start with a lower threshold. Because again, you're trying to affect more of the signal. Remember our brackets on the top and bottom of our waveform that close in from the bottom and from the top? A lower threshold is getting closer to the middle. So you're trying to control more of the signal. Uh, so let's bring our threshold way down. Of course, that sounds really intense. And again, I just earlier I talked about three different ways that we can decrease this. Well, uh, we can incre increase our threshold if we want mellower compression, but we don't want that because we've already said I want to compress the body of this acoustic guitar, the more of the meat, not just the peaks, but more of the meat of the guitar. I want the meat of the guitar to be more even. Um, we can reduce the ratio, and we can do parallel compression. Um, so let's try that. Let's try, um, there's a couple other ways that we can do this, and we'll talk about that in another show. I can't get it to it in this show, but. So we've got our low threshold. Let's start by backing down our ratio. This is dry. And with compression. I like what it's doing to the attacks. Uh, it's kind of thickening it up a little bit. Let's listen to the chorus. No compression. With. That's starting to sound pretty good. It's still a little bit too compressed for my taste. So what I think I might do is actually pull up the ratio a little bit and then pull down my parallel compression. I like how that sounds. So right now I'm sitting at two to one ratio and about 70% wet, 30% dry. So just blending in a little bit of that compression. Now, if you're not familiar with parallel compression uh, or haven't figured it out by now, it's exactly as it sounds. You have the totally dry signal, and then you have the compressed signal, and you're just balancing the difference between the two. Uh, it's something very, very common. I do it a lot, and uh, you should be doing it too. It's a great technique that works on lots of different instruments, and it's a really nice way um, to look at a compression's intensity. Okay, you need just a little bit less. Okay, you don't necessarily have to change your settings. You can just blend in a little bit of the dry. Another nice thing about that is, remember when I said that people commonly confuse the attack time with how long the compressor waits before it compresses? Well, what you should then realize is that as soon as a signal goes over the threshold, as soon as it goes over the threshold, it is compressing. It is changing the shape of that attack based on what you set your attack time to. It's changing that slope. 
right? That shape of the waveform. Remember our steep slope for a fast attack? Our wide sort of mellow hill for a slow attack? It's still changing the slope of that sound, which means that the attack, the, uh, the attack of the signal, the, you know, the pick attack or the snare attack or whatever, has, is now permanently changed. It's not the original, which means that when you can blend in the dry signal, you're actually getting something totally different than backing down the compression or slowing it down or something like that. You're getting some of the original punch and clarity uh, just blended in to that signal which is a really interesting sound, uh, and it sounds really nice. I really enjoy doing it. And you can get away with some really cool things doing parallel compression, and we'll talk some more about that here in a bit with drums. Uh, but let me play you this again. So we'll listen to our intro with no compression. And with... Now, I'm actually going to take out some low end on this acoustic guitar with an EQ. Um, and I want to mention a little side note about EQ and compression. Some people ask me, should I EQ before I compress or EQ after I compress? And there's not exactly a rule. I mean, my general rule of thumb is uh, if you're going to add a lot of low end, then you should do that after the compressor. If you're going to remove low end, you should probably do that before the compressor. That's a general rule. Um, and here's why. If you EQ something a certain way, or if something has a certain tonality before it goes to the compressor, it will affect how that compressor reacts. Um, which is generally why I like to get things to sound good before compression, and then, you know, to where they sound kind of where they're going to fit in the mix and then compress if I need to, and then if I EQ after compression, it's nothing major. It's usually, okay, well, the compressor kind of accentuated that top end a little bit, maybe I don't need to have that as much. But if I start affecting the, the EQs before the compressor, um, then it's going to change how the compressor reacts. It's going to change what's going over that threshold and how it sees how much of that transient hit is going over the threshold. So, like, taking out a lot of low end, I mean, the low end is going to trigger the compressor very easily, generally speaking. So, when you do that, when you remove more of the low information um, on a source like this particularly, uh, there are more transients in the higher frequencies by proportion. So, I just put that EQ before the compressor, and I took out some low end, which now is affecting how the compressor is seeing that signal. Which, luckily, in my case, uh, I think it still sounds pretty good. When I fast forward to the chorus... Here we go. Compressor off and on. Notice how the compressor, of course, is bringing up that room tone on the acoustic guitar. That's just kind of what compressors are going to do. You know, they're going to pull up the the quiet, low-level stuff and uh, and pull down the louder stuff.
So uh, let's listen to this mix a little bit overall. I just grabbed some uh, some of the instruments from this song. Okay, so I'm listening to this, and I feel like our drums need to punch a little bit more overall. So let's talk a little bit about drum bus compression. So, with drum bus compression, it's a great example for us to experiment with parallel compression. And also, we really want to experiment with the groove. So, for this... I'll, again, I'll compress a little bit more than I would so you can exaggerate, you know, I can exaggerate the effect of this. Here we go. Speed up the attack. It's chopping those transients a little bit as I slow it down. how they shape into a different shape there. Now they're real punchy with a slow attack. If I speed up the attack, they're getting chopped. Now, check this out. Let me, uh, let me do a fast attack and a fast release. But then let me blend in I'll blend all the way dry. Now let me just barely blend in that heavily compressed signal. I'm going to turn that on and off so you can hear it. This is no compression. And our parallel. And adds a nice liveliness to the drums, does it not? I think it does, because you're adding this very heavily compressed with this. To get a nice interesting hybrid of the two. Now again, Let's say you blend, so notice our dry. Let's talk about how this dry drum sound sounds. Sounds pretty good. What if we wanted to add more attack? Okay, well, we could, we could compress it with a slow attack and a medium fast release, somewhere in there, 200 milliseconds, let's say, and we could add more attack, like so. But another way that we could do it is by using parallel compression. So we could add, we can make it super attacky, okay? Like over attacky. See how snappy that is? But then just blend that in with our dry sound. So here's our dry sound. 
and I'm going to blend in. I'm going to blend in the super attacky sound. That sounds nice. I think it's a little too much in context, so I'm going to back this down. I'm kind of struggling to hear our kick uh, punch through, so let me let me compress the kick. So we want to add more attack to this kick, so let's do that. Now that's bringing up quite a bit of ring on that kick, so I'm actually going to put a gate on here. Uh, generally speaking, if we use gates, we put gates before our compressors. Um, not always, but I like to do it, so I'm going to put a gate on this kick. Nice. That's better. Now, what I'm hearing also is that my bass is getting a little bit lost here. It's a nice bass sound. Um, what I want to do to this bass is actually, rather than compressing it for evenness because it's fairly even I want to compress it for harmonic content so what that means is I'm going to distort the crap out of this bass using a compressor now this is the fourth way that we use compressors or a common ways to add color uh, now not every compressor is going to do this but um, you know you got to experiment with it a little bit typically we use a lower threshold a faster attack a faster release and a high ratio So I'm going to then blend this in with our dry signal. So here's our dry. Blend it in slowly. That'll give the bass a little bit more character and might make it stand out in the mix a little better. Let's hear it in context. 
Notice how it's lost. But with it, you can pick it out easier. I'm going to play that one more time so you can just hear the effect of that distortion and saturation uh, that's uh, being added. And again, I'm at uh, what I'm compressing, you know, 10 or 15 dB, very high ratio, very fast attack, very fast release, but I'm only blending it in 25% wet. So this is mostly dry signal. This could be done with any saturation plug-in too. Uh, it might sound better with a saturation plug-in as opposed to a compressor. It might not. It just depends. You have to experiment. But uh, again, I'll play that AB in comparison. So this is with no compressor. And this is with. If I push up the gain a little bit. Notice how those high harmonics help that bass cut. Uh, it's really a great technique for bass. Bass can withstand an inordinate amount of distortion. It's pretty amazing, really, uh, and still sound pretty clean in a mix. Because in your head, you might say, well, no, I want kind of a clean bass tone for this song. And that's a great clean bass tone. It doesn't really matter how it sounds on its own, now does it? It only matters how it sounds in a mix. Without the compressor. With. It sticks out just that little bit. I hope you hear that. Um, so let's look at the mandolin. All right, the mandolin. Mandolin is a tricky instrument because it is very attacky. The trick with mandolin is to get a good one that has a lot of nice resonance and has a nice full sound and to not play it overly loud because it can get very attacky very quick just to have good technique on it. Um, and this was played pretty well. Uh, it's a little bit attacky, uh, but um, we're going to do kind of what we did on the acoustic. We want to smooth this thing out, make it a little more audible, um, but we don't want it to sound super compressed. We just kind of want it to have a little more life. Uh, let's do this. What I really want to do is accentuate those hits more. Bum, 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 and make them pop out at you a little bit more. Now, that's exactly opposite of what I said I wanted, but, I mean, now that I hear it in context, it's like, you know what, maybe 
the right thing to do is actually accentuate the attack a little bit more on this instrument. Sometimes what you think in your head, uh, you know, what something needs might not actually be the case when you hear it. It's like, you know what, maybe this really does need to just poke out a little bit more and actually maybe it doesn't have enough attack. I mean, like I said, I you just have to listen to it. In my head, I thought the opposite, but I, I now that I hear it, I don't think that anymore. So maybe I'll try... So what I'm doing here is I compressed fairly lightly, just a couple dB, but a slower attack, 20 milliseconds. Uh, well, wait, no, about 15 milliseconds. And a faster release. And it, it's a 100% wet effect. I didn't do any parallel. But it's just, I'm watching the needles and I'm listening to wait to the point when it seems to just pop a little bit more. without and this is with without with notice how it just pops out that little bit more it grabs our attention just a little bit more and I'm only compressing what yeah, 2 dB, 3 dB, maybe 3, 3 dB on some of those louder hits, but mostly about 1 or 2 dB. Um, again, doing compression in context can really help you to not over-compress or under-compress when you need to compress a lot. For example, let's go back to our drums. I want a little bit more ambience on those drums. So let's compress our room mics to bring out some of the ambience in that room. So, little quiz question for you. Let's see if you can answer it before I do. If I want to bring out the ambience in this room, what am I going to need to do? Bum, 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 bum. Okay. Answer is, you're going to need to pull down the opposite part of the sound, which means you're going to need to pull down the transients to bring up the room sound, which means fast-ish attack, fast-ish release, and probably a higher ratio. Now, again, compressors, they don't, I mean, normal compressors, standard compressors like we usually see, their job is to turn things down. So if you want something turned up about a sound so if you want more attack you're essentially having to set the compressor as if you were turning down the opposite part so if you want more attack on something you have to turn down its sustain or its body or its you know whatever you want to call it uh, if you want more sustain you have to turn down the attack so you're that's what I meant earlier about you have to kind of work in reverse um, so compressors by nature, these types of compressors, typical compressors, um, I mean, we do have upward compressors, but those are typically not called upward compressors, but that's another show. 
um, we typically use compressors to turn things down. So you have to think about it in, in terms of, okay, what am I trying to turn down also? Uh, so yeah. Without. With. Without. Okay, let's hear it in context. Little too much. Now that bass is bothering me. same thing that we did to the mandolin with the acoustic guitar or the 12 string excuse me just get it popping I'm gonna compress this a little heavier Okay, here's a great example. Uh, our solo electric guitar. Uh, let's give this thing a lot of pop. I really want this to stand out. We gotta be careful because it's distorted and so it's a little bit harder for this thing to pick up on the, uh, on the attack. So what we're gonna use is the side chain feature in this. This will help remove the low frequencies and uh, you can monitor what this is doing. So our side chain is telling the compressor, hey, ignore these parts of the sound. Don't look at this. Uh, so here's what the side chain is listening to. Full range right now. But if I do a high pass on the side chain, I can essentially high pass all the low end out of it so that the compressor is only being triggered by those high frequency pick attacks. It's not being triggered by this stuff. All that low end and that mid-range distortion. This way, the compressor will react how I want it to without actually having to EQ the signal differently because I love the tone as is. Um, so this would be without the sidechain.
with the sidechain. Does it sound a little bit punchier to you? It sounds a little bit punchier to me because it's reacting to those pick attacks, not the lower thump. I'm going to add some nice, I'm going to compress the crap out of this thing. And then do some parallel compression. Let's hear it in context. Let's back it down a little bit, a little too much. <laughs> Put our delay back on there. I miss it. This is no compression on that. Notice how it doesn't quite pop out at you the same way, but when you add the compression, it adds a nice excitement and, and gives it importance. Those pick attacks really come at you in a nice way. And before I get any questions about it, I'll just go ahead and spoil it for you now. Uh, I did play that guitar part, and it was a Telecaster, an Alder Telecaster with P90s um, into a Marshall JCM-800, 1985 or 6, I don't remember what year mine is, um, with a Royer 121 mic into a Mercury V76 preamp, uh, well, technically a clone of a V76. I think theirs is called the M76. Into a TubeTech compressor. Uh, just light, light compression. Probably at 2 to 1. Um, just real mellow. And no EQ. There was no EQ at any part of the process on that guitar. Um, I mean, other than amp EQ. But there was no EQ in the chain. And there's no EQ in the mix. So I'm very proud of that guitar. And like I said, I didn't want to change the tone of the guitar. I didn't want to alter it. And so using the sidechain on that compressor really helped us, you know, get the compression sound that we want to get it to pop more without having to use any EQ. We didn't have to add like 2K, 3K, 4K or something to give it more attack. We were able to alter the compression to give it the the apparently more attack and that's what's great about it is that compression is a tonal tool also it's not just for you know uh, getting gain reduction it's it's so much more than that it's a tonal shaper it's an excitement enhancer it's you know it, it allows us to do so many great things and uh, without having to wrench on an EQ it can push things forward or back it can give things more or less groove uh, it can, you know, it's just a really amazing tool. And again, you know, the compressor that you choose to use, there's so many out there. There's so many plugins, great plugins. 
Um, you know, FabFilter makes one. 112 dB makes a couple. Um, gosh, uh, Waves and Slate and uh, UBK makes the uh, the UBK one, which is really cool. Um, there's so many. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, Klanghelm makes the DC8C and the uh, their Veramu compressor. Um, I know that uh, the SSL Duende uh, native compressors are really cool. Uh, and so are the uh, Softube compressors. I really like those. I like those a lot. Uh, and Softube also helped design the native instruments compressors, which are really cool. UAD obviously has great compressors. I mean, there's so, so many out there. And they all do slightly different things. And you shouldn't necessarily feel the need to get a lot of them. But you also shouldn't, you know, don't constrain yourself to just one of them because you get it. Um, But that all being said, if you know what you're doing with the compressor, if you know how to set the attack, if you know how to set the release, if you understand the threshold and the ratio and the sidechain and parallel and all this stuff, if you get it, if you really get it, then you can get, you know, and again, not every compressor has sidechain, not every compressor has parallel, but... I mean, you can really get a ton of sounds out of almost any compressor if you if you just listen and use your ears and know what you're trying to get out of it and know real. I hope this has shown you what it can do, so maybe you can think more about okay, what am I trying to achieve? And then you can use your ears to listen to achieve it. Um, so these are just a couple examples of using compression uh, to accomplish the things that you want to uh, do. Uh, let's review. So. Our attack controls the slope of the compression, how long it takes to compress something. Um, The release, how long it takes to go back to no compression after something has gone back below the threshold again. You know, it's your return slope, or if you're a skier, it's your ramp, right? Or, you know, it's, it's your ramp up back to flat land, essentially. Your threshold controls... Which part of the signal am I compressing? You know, what's what is am I compressing just the peaks or a little bit lower than the peaks, or am I compressing the body of the signal? And then your ratio essentially controls the strength of the compression at that given point. If generally speaking, if you're wanting to control the peaks, you're going to need a higher ratio to sort of compress those down stronger uh, at a higher point. Um, again, 8 to 1 means that for every 8 decibels that goes over the threshold, only 1 will be sent to the output. Whereas 2 to 1, for every 2 decibels that go over the threshold, 1 will be sent to the output. Um, So, essentially, it's your sort of a strength controller. Higher ratios are going to compress stronger and limit stronger. The definition of a limiter, really, is something that has a ratio of 10 to 1 or higher. So compressors and limiters are the same thing, really. Uh, Limiters, generally speaking, are meant to limit peaks, which is why they have higher ratios, and they're generally perceived to the ear as being stronger than just a compressor and more aggressive. Typically speaking, limiters have fairly fast attacks, and the release really depends on the model. 
Remember that parallel compression can create really interesting sounds with compression because we can blend in some of our dry signal. Um, remember that you can use, on certain plugins and processors, you can use the, the sidechain high-pass filter if there is one, or some of them have a sidechain uh, tilt knob where it'll be more sensitive to higher frequencies, such as the API 2500 um, and other things like that. It will be more sensitive to those frequencies. Uh, for example, that would be useful on something like a hi-hat. Uh, if we wanted to compress a hi-hat track, using the high-pass detector would be helpful uh, because we only want to compress, we only want the compressor to be sensitive to those hi-hat hits, not any bleed in the low frequencies or kick bleed or snare bleed. We only want it to be sensitive to those things. And the sidechain is really useful for that. It's a detector circuit. It says... What should I be looking at? You know, you're actually compressing this signal over here, but what am I actually, what am I pretending that I'm compressing? Um, and remember that uh, makeup gain is typically used. However much you're compressing, uh, you should turn it up by that much amount. Now, keep in mind, uh, that goes out the window a little bit when you start using parallel compression. Um, you could get scientific about it and say something like, well... I am compressing 10 dB, and it's 50-50 dry versus wet, so I need to turn it up by 5 dB. But that's too much math for mixing for me. Uh, so generally, just do it by ear. Bypass the plug-in, you know, engage it, adjust the level, try to match them close. You know, if you need to look at the meters, then go for it, but try to match them fairly closely. Um, it is a little difficult because you're trying to match peak levels, essentially, and, and it's a little bit of a hard thing to do because the compressed signal will have a higher RMS level generally. Um, but yeah, I hope that this has given you some good examples of compression and, and, and what it can do and what it can't do and, you know, what a compressor really does. And it's a very versatile tool that can affect a lot of different sounds in a lot of different ways. Um, and yes, typically speaking, compressors work best when they have fairly consistent inputs. Um, now, it doesn't have to be something with no dynamic whatsoever. And even if it has a lot of dynamic, let's say you have like the verse volume and then the chorus volume and then the verse volume again and then the chorus volume. I mean, you can automate compressor thresholds very easily on basically any plugin out there now. Or you can do clip gain on the actual, uh, you know, on the actual waveform itself. Uh, you can automate all kinds of factors. You can do different compression for the chorus that you do on the verse. You can split them into two separate tracks and process them differently. So that's not really an excuse. For example, snare drum. A compressor will generally sound better. Uh, you know, like the best solution for an uneven snare is to hire a better drummer. You know, when that's not an option, a compressor can be helpful at leveling out the snare volume between snare hits. Um, but typically speaking, uh, you know, a good drummer will play those things evenly. Same with the kick drum. Um, and he won't overplay the cymbals. He won't, you know, if, if the performance is done very well, then compression is fairly um, simple to practice and master because you can really hear what's going on consistently. Uh, if the person or player or artist or vocalist or anything, whatever you want to say, was all over the map dynamically, the compressor is going to be largely swayed by those hits. It'll compress 1 dB and then 10 dB and then, and it's going to be really hard to get the effect of what you're actually doing. Um, but listening to something like, you know, this, for example, this level doesn't change very much in this section.
It's very easy for us to set the compressor to a level that we can feel is pretty um, conservative. Again, another supporting argument for parallel compression is that it retains some of those section-by-section -section dynamics because if we're blending in some of the dry, it also means that our, you know, verse to chorus... So let's say, for example, you have, you know, level 1 in the verse and level 2 in the chorus, which is 4 dB louder. Well, if something's 4 dB louder, then the compressor is probably going to be compressing more, right? But if you have parallel compression, that dry signal is still going to be pushed in there. So you're actually getting a nice interplay between it compressing a little bit more, but then the dry signal will actually be a little bit louder in that section because you're blending it in with the compression, if that makes sense. Um, so co parallel compression is very useful on all kinds of instruments. It's great on vocals, on bass, on really everything. It's, I mean, it's kind of indispensable to me. I use parallel compression all the time. There are lots of great plugins out there that do it. I mean, just look for a wet dry knob or a dry blend or you know there's a ton of them out there that do it now and that being said you can always just duplicate the channel or uh, send it to a bus with a compressor of your choice and then use a separate fader to control that compressed level it is an extra fader to control but that way you could use any compressor that you wanted to to do this technique so you could for example compress the drums uh, and then send that to a separate bus that was heavily compressed or distorted or both and then blend that in with the lightly compressed drums. Um, there's really no limit there. One more thing I'd like to show you and I'd like to just put out there is that uh, de-essers are compressors that are specifically made for high frequencies um, and they shouldn't be ignored as a compression tactic. Uh, let's take a look at the, uh, the banjo here. So this banjo is, uh, is not too bright or anything, but we just want to make sure that it stays that way. We want to make sure that it is mid-rangey. We don't want the high-frequency stuff taking away or getting out of control because we have a mandolin, and we also have an electric guitar, and we have an acoustic guitar. So we need to reserve those highs for those instruments. So we want our banjo to be fairly mid-rangey. So we can put a de-esser on there, um, and there's lots of good ones out there. For this type of job, I actually tend to like the Waves one uh, quite a bit. And you can listen to the side chain. So all this stuff, I want to control that to make sure that it's not going to get out of hand. This is without. And this is with. So this is the only part of the signal that I'm compressing. This stuff. That bat, that upstroke there, that's really strong. So I'm just using this de-esser as a high-frequency compressor set, you know, 3.5K and above. This is without and with. 
So it's not compressing the the you know the stuff below 3.5k, leaving it unaffected, and then only compressing high frequencies. A very useful device also for acoustic guitar. If we wanted to compress our acoustic guitar, again, like so, and we only wanted to control it from getting a little bit too clicky, uh, a de-esser is a great tool for that. Um, you can also use a multiband compressor, but a de-esser is nice and quick um, and low CPU generally. Um, so let's check that out. This stuff. I don't want this to get too out of control. Of course, if you go too, too crazy with it, it sounds like this. It sounds dull. But if you back it to the right point... This is without. It's a nice subtle effect, but it's con it's controlling those pick attacks. This stuff, making sure that these don't get too out of control, too clicky. So I hope this has given you things to think about. I hope it's helped you understand compression a little better and some of the various things that we can do with it. And again, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me, Recording Lounge Podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. You can check out the blog at recordinglounge.blogspot.com and the Facebook page, facebook.com slash recordinglounge. You can also um, sign up for our free mailing list, no spam, guaranteed, at recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. And again, no spam. I usually use it to update uh, on new shows. You can check out my book, uh, which again has extensive, extensive chapters on compression. I think there is something like 60 pages or more on just compression, which is like a quarter of a quarter of the book. I mean, it's it's pretty hefty. Uh, lots of compression information, and uh, from the most basic all the way to more techniques and useful things. Uh, and the second edition of the book, which comes out later this year, uh, will have even more. Um, and that is threedimensionalmixing.com, where you can order it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the kind words on the iTunes reviews. Please, if you like the podcast, give me a five-star review and uh, write me a review on uh, iTunes or wherever you happen to be uh, listening to my podcast. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Please send me your questions and comments. And um, I should also mention that I now have a, a PayPal donate uh, function where you can donate if you would like to to help support the podcast. It's a nice way that you can help support um, without necessarily having to do it. You know, there's no obligation. There's no pressure from me. You can have it come out monthly if you would like, or you can have it be a uh, one-time donation. I didn't have a preset amount. I thought that, you know, that should be up to whoever it is that's donating. You can donate a dollar. You can donate a thousand dollars. It's up to you. Uh, and you can find that link over at the blog, which is recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Or if you're on the mailing list, it's at the bottom uh, of, the, of the email. Um, so uh, I greatly would appreciate any donations. I know a couple of you have, and I'm so thankful for you. And I mean, I don't make any money doing this podcast, but I do have to pay for um, hosting. And, you know, the more shows I get, the more 
hosting space that I need um, and just things like that. And the, for, for, I have the registration for the .com and whatnot. But if you'd like to show your support, it's there and available for you. I also uh, do freelance mixing and mastering. So you can send me files over the web uh, using Dropbox or WeTransfer, and I can mix and or master your songs for a reasonable rate. Just email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, for more information on that. And one more thing that I've started to do recently is mix reviews for the small cost of $20 U.S. Uh, through PayPal or Square Cash. Um, I can I will listen to your mix as an unbiased third party. I don't know many of you on a personal level, maybe a few of you listening. Um, but I'll listen to your mix, and I will give you a voice memo recording of me sort of giving my thoughts and notes as I hear them, first, you know, first impressions um, of your mix, things that you might be able to improve, things that are problematic, things that I would hear as distracting or, you know, things that you might have missed over the time. So that is available to you also. I'm very happy to offer that to people. Uh, thanks to uh, the listener suggestions on that, and I decided to listen, and I think it's a great idea. Uh, I would love to be able to offer that uh, service to you guys. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you tune in again next time, and uh, I will talk to you again soon.